Well, good morning. Uh, good morning. I was about to cede my time to the gentleman from CSF uh, this morning. I was kind of getting into that, and, uh, but I guess uh, uh, it's on me now. Well, guys, good to see everybody today. I want to welcome you uh, to our time together. I'm excited about uh, getting into God's Word and um, uh, welcome our audiences online as well. Uh, by the way, my mom and dad always join us uh, online. So hi, mom and dad uh, out there, and uh, good to see you. Um, well, listen, I, I was going to share this illustration with you. I, I'm, a, I'm a really passive person. If you know me, I'm not the guy that causes waves anywhere at all. And when I was a kid, I was even more so. And uh, I was a kid that, I mean, I, I had lots of friends and everything, but sometimes I would get bullied and I would take that and I, I didn't, uh, didn't respond. And where this usually happened, or most specifically happened, was at church, oddly enough. Uh, back in that day, uh, between Sunday school and church, and after church, all of us kids would go out and we'd play in the cemetery under the big oak tree out there. And we'd just play and run around, play catch and things like that, and tag and hide and seek and everything. And the dads, they would go out there and stand around and talk and smoke uh, back in uh, 50 years ago uh, in a rural country church. That's what people did. And most of us related. We had grown up together, knew each other from, uh, from birth, basically. And most of us got along real well, but there was one little kid uh, he was the only child who was pretty spoiled. And uh, he, for some reason, chose to pick on me. And so every time we played just about, he would run up and would punch me in the stomach every time. And I would always take it uh, every time. But then on the way home, I would complain to my parents. And one day my dad told me, he said, son, the next time that you get punched in the stomach and you don't punch back, I'm going to give you a whipping when you get home. Well, that was like a no-win situation right there. I mean, I, I didn't want to whip him when I got home, and he didn't make those idle threats for sure. Um, I think he was kind of embarrassed to see me get hit over and over again uh, by this little kid that was out there. So, um, you know, part of it was my, my passive nature, but I also didn't want to get in trouble by hitting somebody. We just didn't do that. But now I had uh, permission and, in fact, even a threat hanging over my head and no choice so again, sure enough, the next Sunday at church, we were out there playing, and he ran up and punched me in the stomach, and I immediately responded by punching him in the nose. I mean, he began to bleed and everything else, and uh, I felt really bad there for a moment. Suddenly, I was a bad guy, but all that passed over, and uh, I think my dad actually was a little bit proud of me, uh, and I didn't get in trouble at all. And thankfully, that was the only fist fight I ever had in my entire life, and I'm too old for anything now at this point. And by the way, he and I became good friends and still are good friends even today. So it all worked out. You know, I don't know what your tendency is in a conflict is, is if it's to fight or flight. I'm not sure what it is, but, but Jesus is going to challenge us today as he talks about how to deal with your enemies. And that may be a strong word. You may not consider a lot of people your enemies, but there are people in our life, someone called them irregular people that seem to push the wrong buttons and seem to be set against us. So they're all, we all have people in our lives like that. So let's jump in, Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You know, anytime that Jesus said, you have heard it said, you all know immediately he's going to say the opposite, right? We've kind of gotten accustomed to that. 
You've heard it said this, and he's going to say something different. And I don't know how these words hit you when Jesus shares about uh, turning the other cheek and your shirt and all that. But what Jesus is going to say doesn't sound very fair to us, to be honest. It sounds really unfair. Uh, it, it sounds kind of wimpy. It sounds like you're going to get beat up a lot. It's what it sounds like to me. And uh, I just want to be clear here. It's not wrong to defend yourself in general. Uh, it's, I don't think it's wrong to do that. Remembering how I was kind of bullied as a kid, I told my son not to ever pick on anybody, but I told him that if he ever got into a fight, got bullied, that he needed to end the fight as quick as possible. That was my advice to him. I don't know if that was good advice or not, uh, but he's a lot like me, so um, probably served him well, and he didn't seem to be in a lot of fights either. But let's unpack what Jesus is saying here. What is, what is he talking about here? Well, first of all, the eye for an eye stuff. This comes directly from the Old Testament, and it would resonate very easily with the people who were listening. They were Jewish people who had lived under the Old Testament law, and they knew what, exactly what it was saying. They knew what he was talking about. In fact, it came from the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 21, where it says this, the punishment must match the injury. A life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise. So basically what God was saying back when he gave this commandment to Moses is that the punishment has to match the injury. It had to match the injury. If somebody did something to you, uh, then you could retaliate, but no more. They took a life, then their life would be taken. You poked out their eye, they could poke out your eye. And then later Jesus said, turn the other cheek. I mean, which is it? Do you turn the other cheek or do you poke out their eye when they poke out yours? I mean, it's a little bit confusing, right? Well, the answer is it's both of those things. And here's the reason. Sometimes when people does, do something to you, you tend to not just do what they did to, to you, but you do even more. You up the ante. Rarely do we return, you know, just back and forth. We, we up the ante because we feel like we've been insulted, so we don't know where to draw the line sometime. And we're going to do something worse to them. So the law said that you could only do to them what they had done to you and no more. There could be no private vendettas, no retaliation when you had been wronged above and beyond what they had done. They were serious about this. I mean, they were dead serious. If, so, if someone killed a family member even by accident, then your family had the right to go and kill them. And in fact, they have what were called cities of refuge where a person could go and be safe and they could live there indefinitely until they died. But only were they safe if they remained in the city of refuge. They'd leave the city and you were fair game. I mean, that's, that's what it was like because it was literally an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, life for a life. Now they did have judges in that day who could look at a case and give fair compensation for injury, but people could not just go out and mete out their own judgment. You couldn't just go and do whatever you thought they deserved because of how they'd hurt you. Jesus says, you know what the law says, but I'm going to tell you something different. I'm going to say, go further than that. Don't retaliate at all. Don't retaliate against someone. If someone does you wrong, you respond by doing something kind for them. Now, he doesn't say that you can't seek to get even or hurt them worse. In fact, if, um, if the hurt is real or if the hurt is extreme, then you ought to use the authority of the law, the governing law. It doesn't mean that we need to be walked on or anything. It does say we have laws to govern these sort of things and deal with the problem. But you don't need to personally meet evil with evil, harm with harm, eye for an eye. But let's look at some of the cases that Jesus is addressing here specifically. 
Being hit on the cheek was not so much as being attacked as it was to being insulted. That's what he's saying. In fact, it says in this uh, New International Slaps, if someone slaps you. You know, I have in my mind the picture of the guy that pulls, pulls off his gloves slowly one by one, wads the gloves up, and slaps you upside the face. You know, he's not trying to hurt you. He's not trying to punch you in the face. Uh, he's not hurting your face. He's hurting your feelings, right? It, it being hit in the back of the hand was a way to belittle someone and uh, to do it publicly and hurt your feelings. Well, Jesus is saying, don't go to battle with that person. They're an evil person because you're not going to win in the end and you're not going to win them to Jesus either. You're not going to win them to your side by responding as they've responded to you when they've insulted you. Romans chapter 12 says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Says, excuse me, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So do not retaliate in that way. God says, I will avenge. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And that one phrase is kind of interesting, heap burning coals on his head. That's kind of an odd turn of words, isn't it? But the description of doing that, heaping burning coals, is a reference to Proverbs chapter 26, 21 and 22. In that day, there was a custom to carry a pan of burning coals on your head as a sign of repentance. When you repented of something, you would do that. It, it sounds odd, but, but that kind of relating that, and Jesus is repeating it, and it's done another time or two in the Scripture. Kindness and forgiveness to those people who abuse us ideally will make them ashamed of themselves and hopefully bring them to repentance. So the goal is to try to turn them and not demand vengeance because of what they've done. Now, in terms of the shirt, whenever there was uh, someone who was suing you or demanding money from you in that day, if you didn't have the money, then they could literally take the shirt off your back. Or you could be the kind of person, as we talk about, who literally would give the shirt off your back to someone who might be in need there. But it was a way to say, I want something from you, and if you don't have it, I'm going to take your clothes from you. But Jesus said, I say to you, be even more generous. Give them not just your shirt, but give them your coat as well. You know, I think it's interesting how many of our terms today actually come from the Bible. Another one is immediately after this is going the extra mile. During Jesus' day, the whole region in that time was occupied by Roman rule. And so the Roman military would be, would be stationed in garrisons all over the place in most small towns. And they could actually have the right to press the Jewish people into service. We see this whenever Jesus was carrying the cross uh, to Calvary, and he couldn't do it, and the Roman soldiers got a man, Simon, from the crowd and said, pick up the cross and carry. He had the right to do that, but they could only carry it for a mile. And so it would be customary for a soldier who might have a heavy load, he would compel someone, you, you carry it for me, but only for a mile. And Jesus said, carry it too. Voluntarily go the extra mile. So that's where we get some of the terms in our language today. But what Jesus was saying, this is a way to be different. It's a way to be unique and different from the rest of the world. He's saying, don't be easily offended by people and let people drag you down to their level. Turn the other cheek. Isn't this so hard? And I mean, driving is probably one, you know, an ideal situation from it. You know, the other day I'm driving, you know, I'm trying to turn this guy's behind me blowing the horn. I can't turn. There's a car coming. You know, and I'm just going, man, if I could find the horn on, you know, I'd blow it back, you know, I mean, whatever a, a horn means or throwing your hands up in disgust. It's so difficult 
to do this. But Jesus said, don't retaliate, don't be drugged down to their level. Demanding somebody's shirt is outrageous. Jesus said, it's so outrageous, just give him your coat as well. Shame him and reveal who you are, who they are by showing who you are. He's saying, don't be a victim, but return good for evil. Be a servant to people. And if they ask something, go the extra mile for them and do it with joy and humility. Don't do it begrudgingly or angry or out of compulsion. Do it freely. Just have that kind of heart there. And what if you met the injustice and cruelty with something so radically different that it not only exposed it, but also it revealed who they were and heaped burning coals on their head and brought them to repentance as well? What if you modeled a different way to interact with people, responding differently than the rest of the world? What if you gave up the best parking space, even if you got it first and were waiting for the person to pull out and you just said, you take it, that'd be fine. What if you did that? What if you gave up your seat to somebody? Uh, Or what if you paid for their lunch in the drive-thru behind you? I'd like to be behind you when you do that. It'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Do you think that would have an impact on people? Do you think it would matter? What if everybody did that? You know, it's not about being a, a wimp or a pacifist or a doormat or anything like that. It's, it's not about being taken advantage of, but about submitting your power, your privilege, your rights, and your place in life to the service of other people. That's what Jesus is talking about here. You know, Gandhi uh, was a great leader of India. He heard the message of the Sermon on the Mount when he was a small child, and he was struck by these words, and it, they helped define the way he led. He used them to uh, formulate his approach to persecution. He felt like that passive resistance was, was too passive. In other words, doing nothing, saying nothing, you didn't prove a point. Nobody knew what you were doing. You just were, were nothing. He thought that civil disobedience was too defiant. He wasn't going to march in the streets, and so he developed what he called truth force, And truth force was an attempt to win his opposition over by the power of truth and by the example of suffering willingly. In other words, he would explain his opinion or his version of truth, and I assume that was right, and then he would willingly suffer even though people didn't agree with him. And I think that's kind of the way that Jesus lived and taught. He he told truth, but he never retaliated against anybody. And so what Jesus is now teaching us here is to live as individuals. This is how we live individually. I want to clarify this because as I was thinking through this, this kind of troubled me a little bit. In our our culture today, uh, Jesus said, this is how you live, but he didn't say this is how the world needs to be governed. You know, he doesn't say that. He recognized the need for authority of government and, he, and the need for laws. In fact, Jesus submitted to the laws of that day. He wasn't this rebel or, or renegade against the law out there. And you know, we're living in a time now when some people are calling for the abolishment of police and prison and basic law enforcement. And in no way did Jesus suggest that that ought to happen. Uh, Jesus didn't push back against the Roman soldiers that were there. You don't ever see him leading a rebellion against the Romans that everybody hated in that day. He wasn't against authority And he wasn't prohibiting the administration of justice, and he wasn't prohibiting self-defense in any way, but rather he was forbidding us to take the law into our hands, and he was telling us to show love rather than restitution and retaliation. Punishment for breaking the law belongs to the courts in a civil and law-abiding country, but what Jesus is saying, this is a personal attitude toward evildoers that's prompted by mercy 
and not always by justice. Well, if that wasn't enough, there's more, right? And uh, because this is not just about random acts of kindness, it's not just being a nice person here, paying it forward or creating feel-good moments. Let's go on, Matthew chapter 5, 43, beginning 43. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? So now Jesus takes it to another level, again saying, you've heard that it was said. He's going to say the opposite, right? He's saying you don't just have to treat people kindly. You have to love them when you're doing it. You know, you're not just sucking it up and and treating them kind. You have to love them, even your enemies. You have to love them. You know, nobody likes to think that they have enemies. I don't like that idea, but, and the word may be strong, but what about the people in your life that you just don't care for? Maybe that's a kind way to say that. And they don't care for you. It's pretty obvious. Maybe you can't stand them. They not just dislike you, your personality, but the ones maybe that have hurt you. People that have stood up against you, intentionally done something against you, and you know that, or betrayed you, or slandered you, or undermined you. We're not talking about innocent people here. We're talking about guilty people and who people who rightfully deserve those hard feelings that maybe you have. So Jesus is saying, these are the people who are your enemies, but I want you to love them and pray for them just like the people that you really do care for. That's difficult. It really is hard to do, isn't it? You know, when I think about this and I think about Jesus loving people, I think about how distinct Jesus was from the sinners of his day. You know, we know the sinners of our day, right? Whatever your definition of a sinner is, whatever your definition of the person that you don't care for, you don't like their lifestyle, you don't like what they stand for, and how different you may feel like you are from them. But think about how different Jesus was from everybody in his day. I mean, it wasn't just the bad sinners, it was everybody that Jesus was so different with. And, And it strikes me a lot of times that when Jesus looked at them, the Bible says a few times that Jesus looked at them and loved them. So how do we look at the people who we disagree with, their lifestyle, and maybe it's even detestable to us? And how do, we, how do we look at the people that have hurt us intentionally? We have to be like Jesus. We have to look at them, and we have to love them in spite of who they are and, and what they've done to us or with how they live their life. So that's what Jesus is talking about. And he gives God an example in this. He says, be like your heavenly father. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, God doesn't discriminate against us, does it? This kind of blows our our minds sometimes because we have this idea that if you're good, God's going to be good to you. If you're bad, God shouldn't be good to you. And, you know, it just isn't right, isn't fair. But Jesus said, God doesn't discriminate. You ever wonder why it seems like the wicked prosper more than the righteous well, there are some bad people who seem to be doing well and some really righteous people who seem to suffer and struggle. It's a hard question, but I'm thinking that maybe God is trying to love those who have made themselves his enemies and bring them back to him. Maybe God's trying to show them his love. The Bible says that the love of God compels us. It compels us and it should draw us to him. And beyond that, were you ever an enemy of God? Were you ever God's enemy in some ways out of disobedience? Was it his love that brought you back to him and his forgiveness and his grace? 
Aren't you grateful that God's love is not conditional on our goodness? You know, sometimes I think we miss the power and the importance of love and the word love because we try to make the word work in too many situations, you know? Uh, too many different ways. I love pizza. We love our job. Love my dog. I actually have a good dog that I love. <laughs> Confession time now. I, I got a dog. You know how you guys know I'm never a pet person, but I got a dog. He's a pretty good dog. We love our dog. We love summer. We love our spouse, our children, all, and we love God, you know? And we're always like, we just love everything, everybody, all different sort of things. And one word covers a lot and does an inadequate job of any of it, right? But the Greek people were smarter than us, you know? They had more than one word for love, which kind of explains when the Bible talks about love, you can always see what, it, what it's talking about here. But they, there were several words for love. For example, one love, uh, one word was eros. And we know that's where we get our word for erotic, right? So uh, the sexual love would be eros. And uh, then there's the philea, and that refers to brotherly or friendship love. So uh, the love that I have for you guys and for family and friends, that kind of love is philea love. And you know, where we get the word Philadelphia, which is supposed to be the city of brotherly love. I don't know much about Philadelphia, but uh, that's where it came from. And the third word is the word storage. And this is affectionate love. Uh, like, man, I love my job. I love that movie. I love food. You know, that's, that's what that word would mean. But then there's another word, and this is the word agape. I'm sure you've heard that before. But agape, agape is an unconditional and selfless love. This is a love that goes beyond everything else. It has nothing to do with the worthiness or the lovability of a person. In fact, you love them in spite of themselves. You have agape love. You will yourself to love them. You choose to love them. And that's the word that's used for God's love for us. That he loves us in that way in spite of our sins. To really love somebody is to see their value and desire that they're going to repent and believe and not be saved. Because that's what all of our relationships ought to lead to. That ought to become our nature. And when it becomes our nature... You can't help yourself in doing it. It just becomes your way of life. You know, Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. You're probably familiar with that, of a man who was um, beat and wounded, and, and all these people passed by. Everybody else should have helped him. But the one person who was most like, least likely to help, who had history, and who had you know, personal reasons not to help, did so because he had this kind of love and compassion for the man who was in need. It was his nature a nature that only comes from having experienced the love of, of Christ ourselves. You know, I didn't know this gentleman, but I've heard of him. Tom Skinner was one of the most influential African-American Christian leaders of our time. He actually was converted from um, a gang. He was a gang leader of the largest, toughest gang in New York City, the Harlem Lords. And um, he left the gang the day after he accepted Christ. He turned from a life of violence to a life of compassion. And the story is told that just a few weeks after his conversion, he was playing football with some guys, and he made a good block, which allowed his team to score a goal. And the guy he had blocked ran up to him and, and shoved him in the stomach and then hacked him across the back and then proceeded to call him racial names and curse him. Now, the old Skinner, he'd probably done this before when he was in the gang. He would have gotten up, pulled a knife, and killed a guy. It would have been a gang war right there. But Skinner felt the power and the love and the presence of the Holy Spirit take over, he said. And at that moment, he chose a different path. 
He got up, he looked the guy in the eye and said, you know, because of Jesus Christ, I love you anyway. And he went back to the game. And after the game was over, the boy came up to Skinner and apologized and said to him, now, can you tell me about your Jesus? See, that's what Jesus was saying when we turn the other cheek, when we let it go, when we show love instead of retaliation. You know what? Only God can change a heart like that. Love your enemies and pray for them. You can't pray for somebody and hate them at the same time. You know, if you and your spouse are having problems, start praying for them. Your feelings of hate will turn to compassion. And think about Jesus on the cross. His very first prayer recorded in the scripture was, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And I think he could pray that because no doubt Jesus had been praying that for his enemies for a long time. They chose to be his enemies, but he prayed for them, no doubt. And in his last breaths, he did the same. In verse 47 here, Jesus asked a great question. He asked this, what are you doing more than others? What are you doing more than others? How are you different than anybody else? Evil, even evil people love each other. You know, they love those who love them back. And we're no better than the pagans if we only love those people who love us in return. And again, love is a decision of the will. It's not an emotion that comes and goes uh, with, with action or time. We love and show this kind of grace because we have experienced the love and the grace of Christ ourselves. And then Jesus sums up this section with a challenging statement. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, you and I know that none of us are perfect, right? We don't have that in spite of what some of us might think or tell people, uh, none of us are perfect. So why is Jesus telling us to do what seems to be impossible? Uh, well, here's the answer. Because like love, there are a couple of words in the Greek language that are, that, that, uh, are, are used to, to say the word perfect, but they have different meanings. One of them is without defect, without blemish. That's what perfect is in our minds all the time. And that would be Jesus. Nobody is like Jesus. Nobody is perfect. Uh, nobody uh, else meets that criteria. But the other word, the one that Jesus used here, carries with it the idea of being whole, mature, or complete. Not without blemish, but being whole, mature, or complete as we're meant to be. So Jesus isn't trying to frustrate us with a, with some, with a goal that we can never meet, right? He's calling us instead to spiritual maturity to grow in love, in sacrifice, in self-control, in servanthood. And we can all do that. We can all attain for that. How we respond when somebody insults us, when they take advantage of us, somebody forces us to do something we don't want to do. When somebody hurts us, when somebody, when somebody offends us, Jesus is saying, you be the adult in the room. You be the one that responds with grace and love back with them. Don't be childish and immature. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Be as mature as you can be. Let me ask you, are you at that place just now? All of us would have to say, we're trying to get there, you know. Hopefully we're on our way. Hopefully we are moving on our journey. You know, the Sermon on the Mount was one of Jesus' greatest teachings and clearest teachings about how a Christian ought to live in a practical way. And a life lived for Jesus Christ is different, better, more joyful, more fulfilling. It impacts the world around us. As I was thinking about this, I thought, why would anybody want to do all this? Because this definitely isn't what comes natural, and it's not what the world would view and say is smart. But what Jesus said, my way is different. It's a new way of living, and you will find 
Joy, not blessing from God, but you will also find joy in the journey. You will find fulfillment if you do these things. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna discover that God's way is better than the world's way. We don't have to be perfect. We just have to be maturing, moving on a simple journey toward Jesus. And remember what Jesus said, what are you doing more than others, more than the pagans? How is your life different than anybody else as a believer? And then one day, here's the great promise, one day whenever we leave this world and we see Jesus, we will be made perfect as he is perfect. We will be without blemish and without imperfections. That's a great promise that we have. And let me just ask, do you have that hope? If you are a believer, Jesus is telling us how to live. If you're not yet a follower of Christ committed to him, he's calling you into this lifestyle and promising you will find the greatest joy that you ever could imagine in living this way. Great challenge for us this morning. I, I'm going to be up front. Tony will be up here. Uh, we would love to just, just pray with you, you know, whatever's going on. Maybe there's someone hurt you deeply and, and you just need some help. You nothing wrong with getting a little help praying for that person and asking God to help you forgive them and help you respond in the right way. Or, or maybe you've done something to someone. You just need to tell somebody and be honest about it, whatever it may be. We'd love to have you come up and join us and pray or bring somebody up and pray with them, whatever it may be. Let's go to the Lord right now. Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that you bring that teaches us how to live our lives, Lord. God, I pray that we might uh, attain that which we have reached and, and the level of life, the place in life where we are as believers, we need to do more than everybody else. Give us a new heart, a new mind, a new reaction when we've been hurt. Lord, we love you. We thank you for setting the example for Jesus who was perfect and is perfect. And may he always be our model. I pray these things in his name. Amen.